0: Welcome to the Inside Fertilizer Analytics podcast. I'm Tim Chain from the Fertilizer team here at Argus Media. Today we'll be discussing the sulfuric acid market, and I'm joined by Mina Shahan, who's head of sulfur and sulfuric acid research in our consulting group, and Siobhan Lismore Scott, who's editor of our weekly sulfuric acid market report. Welcome to both of you. It's great to have you both on the podcast. It allows us to delve into... The current market situation and also the market outlook so a really good combination let's jump straight into the discussion uh, and talk about prices because prices have really rallied i was looking at the data earlier today and just seeing prices have really ramped up during the course of this year even heat reaching triple digits coming out of europe recently so siobhan talk us through what's happening what's driving that increase in prices
1: Thank you, Tim. Um, So sulfuric acid have reached uh, triple digits out of Europe. You're right. But this has happened all over the world. This is a global um, trend Uh, within Europe. The prices are just just at that cusp of uh, being into triple digits. There's a lot of acid within Europe, but demand elsewhere means that a lot of it's being shipped out. And there just it's a supply situation there. There just isn't enough acid in Europe. And so the prices are going higher and higher as demand climbs, Um, but it's mainly a supply situation in Europe.
0: Very interesting. I know we've been discussing how the contract pricing in Europe is evolving and uh, there's some interesting changes that you've seen during uh, the last few months. Can you talk us through what you've seen change and, and how that's affecting the market?
1: Yep, certainly can. What we've seen, basically, is that the Northwest European contract price that we carry is a smelter grade price. And that has always served to, you know, just cover the Northwest Europe um, market. But as there's been a constraint in the amount of sulfur within Europe, the sulfur burners are seeing that they are seeing a premium. So that price is decoupled in terms of we're now looking at having a Northwest European sulfur burning contract price and the one that we carry, which is the Northwest Europe smelter grade. So we are going to be introducing a new contract price to cover the quarters um, in the report because it's become so decoupled. For example, um, we just recently settled the q2 price and the smelter grade acid was looking at an increase of around 10 euros from the first quarter which is a lot actually um before i think the increase was between three and four euros um but the sulfur burn grade was they're looking at between 25 and 30 euro increase so you can see how that market has become decoupled
0: is this a result of firmer sulfur prices is is the sulfur market uh, price strength uh, causing this differentiation in between those two market prices
1: there's a lot less sulfur around basically in Europe um, the refineries used to produce the sulfur and that's what was used by the sulfur burners so yes, you know the the high sulfur prices means that there is um, a resistance to pay some of the higher prices and there's also constrained supply as well this wasn't part of a lot of the formula basis you know to pay so much for what is a feedstock um, this means of course that there's less sulfuric acid around and that means there's constrained supply at a time of very high demand so there's really strong fundamentals there in terms of the supply demand balance
0: in europe Great. So the market's generally tight, supply and demand factors featuring in in, in the way the prices have developed. Let's turn to the the future. And Mina, can you tell us what you you think is going to happen for the rest of the year? What's the outlook for this firm market looking towards the end of 2021?
2: There's little room for downside currently in sulfuric acid pricing with all the factors that Siobhan's just out mind on the tight supply situation but i would say we are expecting to see a downward correction of some sort it's likely to be muted um, and not a major price crash or major downturn and that's uh, because of the supply and demand fundamentals Um, you know in places like where we've just talked about the major supply squeeze that is supporting prices going forward through to the end of the year at the moment Um, in associated markets like elemental sulfur we have appeared to reach a peak in pricing. So that could aid in putting a ceiling on um, the acid prices as well.
0: And uh, Mina, what about the longer term? Are are these are these influences going to last into 2022 and beyond? What are the main influences for sulfuric acid prices in your longer term outlook?
2: Well, for the medium term, uh, you know, it's really the key end use markets that will be driving the market. So copper demand and the metal side, for example, and with that healthy demand forecast, that is really aiding in supporting the view for long term acid pricing. I'd say the process phosphate sector as well will be key. And we've looked a lot at the relationship in terms of pricing between DAP and sulfur and acid. And um, the correlation between DAP and and sulfur does provide a bit of a baseline for the longer term. And so our expectation is that um, obviously we've got the decoupling right now between sulfur and acid. But in the longer term, we'd see uh, expect to see some parity returning between sulfur And I said, I'd say the very short term market fundamentals will continue in each commodity, though, to see that decoupling that Siobhan's mentioned. And we are expecting to see uh, the correction, as I mentioned, but that will probably come in 2022, following the spike that we're seeing this year, and then before trending back up in the long term, driven by those key end use markets.
0: Excellent. Really good to get that basis understood in terms of, of the current pricing situation. Let's delve into supply. Europe is definitely an area of interest for sulfuric acid. I know in particular that the, the market was quite surprised by the announcements of the Innovan Runcorn plant closure a few weeks ago. Siobhan, can you take us through what happened there and just describe the situation?
1: Yeah, this did come as a surprise. The plant um, declared a forced majeure in October and acid for the customers was sourced elsewhere. The intention was always to bring the plant back. But unfortunately, after attempting a start up in February, the damage was just deemed too severe. And they made the decision to close the plant. I mean, they actually couldn't start it up because of, a, I think, a heater problem. And they closed the whole business. They've exited the um, salacid business, which has left a 200,000 tonne per annum hole in the market. And it isn't one that can be plugged easily as they produce quite high grades of acid. Um, so these are compatible with food and pharma industry. So you can't just, you know, use any old acid. It has to be quite high grade for that. So what we have now is a situation where there's a consumer market seeking tons in a region which is already extremely tight.
0: That is certainly very dramatic. Uh, Mina can you tell us what your expectations are for supply in Europe are, there, are is there future supply coming on stream that could plug this gap where do you see new capacity coming in Europe if at all?
2: Well there's little change actually expected on installed capacity in northwest Europe at least. Um, smelters are capturing SO2 emissions at high levels already because of existing legislation and the technology that's in place and there's actually no new sulfur burning projects in the pipeline either so Total acid capacity is estimated at about 17.8 million tonnes a year and smelter production in the region is about 6.3 million tonnes a year and the outlook is stable throughout the forecast.
0: Okay, so in that case, what about the broader market, the global market? Uh, Where do you see the main supply changes coming? Where where do we see extra supply, incremental supply coming to meet new demand?
2: In terms of smelter-based supply changes, uh, we see global smelt capacity growing by around 8 million tonnes over the next five years to around uh, 133 million tonnes a year and a lot of this is being driven by Chinese capacity additions. This is a real focal point for the market with the number of projects that are in the pipeline and that is being driven by investment in the copper sector on the back of strength in demand for copper of course and copper products. Elsewhere, there have been developments in Africa, in the copper belt region, with new smelting capacity added in the DRC. And there is further scope there for additional smelters to be constructed in the longer term in that sort of region, uh, such as the Ivanhoe mines Kamoa copper project with acid capacity estimated about 300,000 tonnes a year. There's also several smelter projects proposed in India on both the copper and the zinc side that we are monitoring quite regularly. But these are currently assessed
0: as speculative. So no shortage of new capacity, at least in the pipeline at some stage of development. Has the COVID-19 pandemic uh, impacted the outlook for these projects? Or do you see any other factors that pose a risk to some of this new capacity?
2: Yes, there have been delays reported to project startups and investment and I think that's to be expected. Uh, we've certainly seen the same in the sulfur sector as well with refinery startups being pushed and there's obviously a great deal of uncertainty with how COVID-19 will progress in the global pandemic. Although it's clear we're starting to see, you know, signs of recovery in the economy with the vaccine rollouts continuing. One of the Risk factors, I would say, for acid capacity is going to be around copper concentrates. Um, with the scale of operations being brought online in China, for instance, um, this could mean that some balancing does occur if there is a
0: continued tightness in the concentrate market as well. But we'll have to wait and see. Thanks. There's a theme we've seen across across all the fertilizer sector areas we follow. Uh, COVID has had an impact on, on project timelines for sure. Let's turn to demand. and. We know from our, the start of this discussion that demand is strong. But Siobhan, can you tell us which end uses or which sectors are really driving that, that buoyant demand in the market currently?
1: Yep, certainly. Well, copper prices are at a 10-year high. The last time they were at this level was 2011. And sulfuric acid were at the levels we're seeing now. Mejianna's contract prices were around $110 to $130 a tonne CFR. So that, that's similar to levels. I mean, it's a bit higher now, but this was 10 years ago. Fertilizer demand is also rallying. Sulfuric acid is used in this industry to make phosphoric acid. And after a lull last year in planting schedules, we've seen a return there. And in fact, we've seen bumper seasons in Brazil and the U.S., So there's a lot of demand from smelters um, who want to continue and leach as much as they can and from fertilizer consumption as well.
0: So we have a convergence or coincidence of strong demand from fertilizer requirements and and those industrial uses. Mina, do you you see the same factors driving the medium-term trends in demand? Uh, What do you see driving consumption beyond this year towards the medium-term?
2: Yeah, interesting question, and certainly mirroring some of those short-term fundamentals as well. And I mean, the key underlying trends about the acid market are obviously linked to the global economy, the macroeconomic factors with rising populations and so on, and that need for increased crop yields and fertiliser application. So when we look at phosphoric acid-based demand, that's forecast to grow in areas like North Africa and the Middle East. But in terms of how that will be met for a From a raw materials perspective, that will be largely from captive sulfur-burning-based capacity. Um, We're forecasting about 14% growth in this specific sector in the period to 2025, and that would add around 18 million tons a year of sulfuric acid demand. There's also copper projects in the US, such as Lone Star and also Excelsior Mining. These are both in Arizona, and there's also been developments in the lithium sector, which are likely to lead to new projects coming to fruition that we're currently viewing as speculative.
0: I can understand the buoyant fertiliser situation because we know that governments have prioritised food production and and the the crop prices have rallied and and, and fertiliser demand is definitely buoyant. But what's driving that metals demand? Because we've had uh, economies struggle, uh, some GDP numbers are looking quite weak. What's driving metals demand for sulfuric acid?
2: Well, in the uh, sectors I mentioned there, that's really been driven by the electric vehicle market. So ultimately it's policy um, and the shift to a greener uh, world and, you know, various regions implementing expectations of, you know, how many vehicles should be um, of this nature, and so with that comes rising demand for battery materials ultimately, and um, so things like lithium and nickel become in higher demand and uh, drive is driving a lot of the investment there. And some of these projects would be using merchant sulfuric acid at the start and it already are, um, such as in Arizona, but there are plans to construct sulfur based capacity a few years into project startups. So that will be also interesting to see how that impacts on acid demand.
0: Yeah, fascinating. So that that drive up in metals demand linked to battery production, that's almost a structural change to the world economy. That's not really uh, something that's been negatively affected by by COVID. So uh, a good important trend to be tracking. I'm sure you're keeping a close eye on those on those projects. Let's turn to trade uh, finally, because um, there's some really important trade flows that are shifting and changing. And Siobhan, can you talk us through some of the Uh, most important trade flows or unusual trade patterns you've seen as a result of the current tighter market?
1: Yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, the situation in Europe with supply isn't because uh, there isn't any acid there. There are actually two big producers in Europe, but a lot of them are are shipping the acid out because of higher prices elsewhere. What we are seeing is because of these uh, kind of global high prices and increased demand is that we are seeing kind of different Uh, trade routes. We're seeing cargoes departing to destinations where previously they may have had a long-term contract in place elsewhere. This month, for example, we've seen uh, a cargo sourced out of Asia. I think it was a park cargo that went from Japan and China and was bound for Turkey. Uh, We've also seen cargoes exporting out of India, which is unusual, and um, other cargoes going to Brazil from Australia as well. So these are trade routes that haven't really been done or haven't been done usually. I think we can safely say that uh, China has become a a big player, a very important player in the market. And we're looking at more exports from smelters there as well um, into Europe as well as elsewhere.
0: Some really creative, opportunistic trades going on there. It uh, just shows the level of engagement that people have in the market to uh, to place tonnage at the, the most beneficial price. But um, one of the most interesting disruptions, I think, to trade flows in the last six months has been the, the blockage at Mejiones. Can you talk us through what happened and how that was resolved and is, and what it means for the current situation for, for imports into Chile?
1: This was actually very interesting and unprecedented as well. Uh, because of the swells, um, Cargoes couldn't unload into Mejiones, which meant there was a backlog. Um, There were actually some um, tankers kind of going between Peru and Chile back and forth. And it was closed, um, I think, for around three to four weeks. Uh, That meant that no no one could unload. And then once they were able to disembark and unload, the process was very, very slow. It it always is, uh, you know, it's not a fast process. And there was a big backlog. What that means then is that the market was tight, but no trade was able to be done. And then the cargoes that did unload then went into kind of domino effect where the acid was then put into the market and that affected the next cargo that could come, for example, because there was already the supply there. So what we could see is kind of contracts being pushed to the end of the year And uh, maybe a bit of softness there in terms of pricing towards the end of the year because um, there there could be a bit of oversupply potentially.
0: Thanks. So that's I think that's the only only downside factor we've discussed during this whole podcast. Um, So at least there's one thing in there we can we can we flagged up uh, which points to possible weakness. Um, Finally, just to wrap up this discussion and and, uh, look at the 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 longer term, uh, Mina, what are the main trade changes you're expecting to see in the outlook uh, beyond the changes that Siobhan's mentioned? What are the structural trade changes you see coming?
2: Sure, trade's an interesting one because of the balance that needs to be maintained between production and demand for sulfuric acid because of the storage limitations. I think it's important to mention China maintaining its net exporter status in the long term. That's been a recent change in the market in the last three years and certainly adds competition to the Asian export market overall imports meanwhile into china are expected to remain diminished for the foreseeable future with that rise in domestic smelting capacity i mentioned earlier Uh, another region to mention is latin american trade so we are expecting to see some significant changes in the longer term with the potential startup of the Tia Maria copper project in Peru. That's currently forecast to start up around 2025. There have been obviously numerous delays and that would increase domestic acid consumption requirements and then reduce availability for exports and largely into Chile, of course, and elsewhere in Latin America, also Brazilian acid imports are expected to rise because of yeah, an increase in SSP and phosphoric acid production ramping up, um, and obviously any shortfall from captive burner production would be met by the import market.
0: Yeah, you, Amina, you mentioned also earlier you, the possibility of some Indian smelter projects that you said I think were speculative. But what impact would they have on the trade balance if they were to to come into fruition?
2: India is going to be a really interesting market to consider as far as trade is concerned, and. And a lot does hinge on the future of the metal smelter projects. So there are two zinc smelter projects by Hindustan Zinc, uh, one by Vedanta on copper and another from Adani for copper also. I mean, if none of these projects emerge, then our forecasts indicate that imports of acid would likely range between 1.5 million to 2 million tonnes a year. But even if one or any of these come on, then our expectation is that that would obviously reduce the import requirements going forward.
0: Well, I'm afraid we've uh, reached the end of our allotted time today. Uh, to our listeners, thanks very much for listening. I hope you found this podcast useful. I've certainly found it really interesting. Uh, sulfuric Acid Market updates and prices from Siobhan and her global team are available in the August Sulfuric Acid Report, which is accessible in August Direct. And if you're a subscriber to Argus Sulfuric Acid Analytics, please go ahead and download the latest quarterly forecast report from August Direct. You can also access data sets in Excel and our annual long-term forecast report, which was published at the end of last year, again in August Direct. If you are not a current subscriber, uh, we welcome you to visit the August Media website to find out more information about how, how to subscribe and, and join our subscriber base. If you enjoyed this discussion, please do like, subscribe or follow us, depending how you're listening, because we'd love to have you back. And until next time, goodbye.